Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Dear fellow children of God, Imagine that you have just left your boss's office. Your heart and your mind are both racing at Indy 500 speeds. He has just told you that you have been given a new job with tremendous responsibility, but with an equally tremendous opportunity to do good things. And it's not just new for you, it's completely new. No one has ever done this job before. Your boss assures you that that you have the knowledge and the training and everything you need. In fact, you're the only one who does. And he tells you that he is counting on you, and he is confident that you will do everything that's being asked of you, not least because he himself has been at your side preparing you for this day. And then, then your boss told you one last thing. He himself has taken a promotion, and he has to fly out immediately to his new location. In other words, you are on your own. So what are you feeling? Some excitement, surely, but that will be accompanied by a truckload of anxieties. As you ask yourself question after question, am I up to this? What, what if I forget something important or, or can't even remember that I forgot it? Will I get another chance if I fail? How will I keep going if I do fail? What will I do when something comes up that I wasn't trained for? What, who can I go to when no one else knows how to help? What will people think of me? How can I live with myself if I mess up this incredible opportunity? What if I get in trouble? Who will help me then? You are alone and uncertain. You don't even know what you don't know. And yet you have the responsibility. And the weight of it lies heavy on your shoulders. And that would be pretty close to how each of the disciples of Jesus would have felt when he left them. Left them in charge and left them behind. Sure, they had each other, but in the dark of night when they thought about what lay ahead, they would have been on their own with their doubts, their misgivings, the sense that they they didn't really know what they were doing and and the burden of the great mission Christ had laid on them weighing on their minds. Now, the first time he left them, it all would have been compounded by fear and guilt and grief. He was taken from them, tried and crucified. Fortunately, that state lasted only from Friday till Sunday. But the second time, After he ascended into heaven, there were more days of uncertainty. And Jesus had told them to wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit, but they would have had little understanding of what exactly that meant or how long they would have to wait. All they really knew is that Jesus had said he wasn't coming back 
anytime soon. Now the irony is that if they had already had the Holy Spirit, they would have understood what Jesus said and been comforted. It wouldn't be until Pentecost that everything would come together and they would be able to take hold of the truth and boldly put it to work. Put it to work for the Lord and for sinners' salvation. That truth being what their master, Jesus, promised them on the night he was betrayed in today's gospel, John 14, 25-27. Jesus said, I have told you these things while staying with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I told you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, and do not let it be afraid. Pentecost is the fulfillment of Jesus' words there. But not just that one time, that that one Sunday, but for every time since then for all of his church. This is the story and the evidence that the Holy Spirit comes through for Christ's people. Now first Jesus said to his disciples what seemed beyond obvious. Everything that he had just told them, he had told them while he was there to tell them. But behind that truism was an implication that they were not at that time ready to appreciate. Soon he would not be with them anymore. But Jesus would not abandon the ones who trusted in him or leave alone the ones he loved so dearly. He promised them someone who would, in a way, take his place while at the same time equip them for the work that they would do without their master right there beside them. The Son of God promised them that the Father would send them the Holy Spirit. The entire Trinity, all three persons, would be intimately involved in supplying Christ's disciples with what they needed to be His church and to be His servants in carrying the gospel to the ends of the earth, carrying to sinners everywhere that message of grace which they needed to hear, a message of forgiveness and of restoration to God. And the disciples could have been absolutely certain that the Spirit would come to them. They knew that Jesus was trustworthy, and they knew that the Father always keeps His promises. And this Spirit that He would send would not just be a presence, he would be their counselor. The Greek word here, roughly paraclete, means one called alongside. In some cases, that might mean someone like an attorney who argues your case in court. In other cases, more like an advisor, someone who gives you counsel. And in other cases... It would be the person who who puts his arm around your shoulders 
when you're dealing with something difficult. The Holy Spirit, Jesus promised, would be all those things for the apostles, their defender, their guide, and their comfort. But he would also be the one to equip them for their unique job of founding Christ's church on earth once Jesus returned to his throne in heaven. The disciples likely would have been very nervous about teaching his message when when each of them only remembered parts and, and snippets from the three years that they'd been together. No human normally has perfect recall of everything he or she has been told. But here Jesus makes a promise whose importance we we can hardly comprehend. The Spirit would remind them of everything their rabbi had told them. This meant not only that they would not get anything wrong or leave anything out when they were preaching and teaching Christ's message, but it also meant that they would give an accurate and authoritative accounting when they got around to writing or having written the four Gospels, which have told every successive generation the message of Christ. But that was not all that Jesus would leave them with. He also gave them peace, His peace. Not as a wish or as a word of farewell, but true Actual, real peace. Peace for their troubled hearts. Peace for their mixed up minds. Peace for all their dealings with each other as His church on earth. No one else could give this. Only Jesus. And He could give it, not just because He was the Son of God who can do anything, but because what Jesus was only hours away from doing when he spoke those words was the thing that would secure peace for their souls, would win for them the peace that matters most and that that is the source for every other kind, peace between God and man, the reconciliation of rebellious sinners with the holy and almighty God they had and have offended in every way. Jesus won this peace for us and for all the world by offering Himself as the one and only sacrifice that could both satisfy the Father's righteous wrath against sin and provide the holiness and perfection that all people are lacking since the fall into sin. Christ went to the cross and died there. And His blood washed away all the world's accumulated guilt and filth. And when on the third day He rose from the dead, His resurrection guaranteed all who trust in Him eternal life like His and a place with Him in heaven. Because those who believe have been declared innocent for His sake and claimed for God as His children. And once Jesus gave His disciples that kind of peace with God, with the Creator of all things, they could be at peace with every other event and with every other person. They would know 
who they had on and at their side, and that would make all the difference. Their hearts would not be troubled or afraid. And on that first Pentecost Sunday, it all came true as the Holy Spirit came through for them and for us as the church. Just as he breathed life into the dead bones in our reading from Ezekiel, the Spirit breathed new life, power, and gifts into the small group of believers there in Jerusalem. The sound like wind and the tongues of fire were evidence of his presence. The languages they'd never learned were his special gift. The boldness that would have been unthinkable unthinkable mere weeks ago when they were cowered behind locked doors was his doing. The words they spoke were his words, and the preparing of the crowd's hearts and and the giving of faith to some 3,000 souls that day who heard, believed, and were baptized were all the Holy Spirit's happy work. Just as Peter noted the fulfillment of the words the Spirit had had Joel record centuries earlier, the Spirit had Peter preach with a perfect focus on Jesus Christ as Savior of everyone in that crowd and their children to come and all people everywhere. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Just as promised, the Holy Spirit came through. And he still comes through for you and for me and for all Christ's people today too. Not with the wind and the fire and tongues and and not likely with the conversion of crowds all at once, but still in every way that matters and every way that Jesus promised. The Spirit comes to Christ's people from the Father in Jesus' name. Every person of the Trinity is intimately involved in this. It's important to God. And he comes through, not through some kind of mystic exercise of the heart or ritual acts that summon him down, but he comes through the means of grace through the gospel, in the word, and in the sacraments. The simple things of of Scripture and water and bread and wine are the instruments that the Spirit uses to come to us, to save us, to give us faith, to to grow us and comfort us and, and lead us. And He comes through for us as our counselor, our defender, guide, and comfort. And he teaches us through the Bible and through our fellow Christians whom he has also taught through the Bible. Just as he taught the disciples everything that they needed to know to teach others, he teaches us still today everything that we need to know for faith and for life. He teaches us about our sin and about God's incredible, unconditional grace. He teaches us about Jesus, both God and man, sent as our substitute to suffer and die so that we might escape hell's suffering and eternal death. 
He teaches us about how Christ's people will now live for the one who died for them, seeking in thanks and love to please God in all that we say and do. And he teaches us about eternal life and about the bliss of paradise that awaits us at the resurrection. And through the gospel's pronouncement of peace with God, Because our sins are forgiven for Jesus' sake, the Spirit also comes through for us with peace. Peace completely unlike anything that the world has to offer. We read it in the Scriptures. We hear it in the absolution. We experience it in baptisms washing with the water and the Word. We taste it. And take it in with Christ's body and blood in the bread and wine of the Lord's Supper. So when when your conscience won't let you sleep because of something that you have done or left undone, the Spirit gives you Christ's peace. Your sins are forgiven. When Satan accuses you of hypocrisy or treachery because you, a Christian, have acted or spoken as no Christian acts or speaks, the Spirit gives you Christ's peace. Your sins are gone. God's grace is greater than your guilt. And the devil has no place or power to disturb you. And when the world makes a point of of showing how you are at odds with them because you don't do the things they do or value the things that they value, and that makes them your enemy. Well, then, too, the Spirit gives you Christ's peace. The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. The Counselor always comes through for you. You have everything you need by his work, through the gospel, in Jesus Christ. And when, like the disciples in those days after their master ascended into heaven, when you are filled with self-doubt and uncertainty and maybe even some fear, well, do not let your heart be troubled. I just got married. Now what? I just graduated. Now what? We just paid off our mortgage. Now what? I just retired. Now what? I just got laid off. I just got a new job. I just moved. I just got diagnosed with heart disease. Now what? The Holy Spirit will come through. Have peace. The Lord will put His Spirit in you and you will live. The Counselor will give and remind you of everything you need to know. He will be your comfort, your leader, your guide, your defender, everything that you need Him to be. So do not let your heart be afraid. The Holy Spirit comes through for Christ's people, which means that He comes through for you too in every situation, in every trouble, in every way. He will do what He loves to do most. He will point you to Jesus, your Savior, and He will assure you of God's love 
God's grace and God's power all for you. And he will give you peace. Alleluia. Amen. Please rise. Now may the God of hope fill you with complete joy and peace as you continue to believe so that you overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.